0: Hey listeners, welcome to another footnote episode of the Fancy Animation Podcast. I'm Alex Sargent. I am Chris Holiday. And Stacey Abbott has stayed behind after the paranormal episode last week to um, do a quick uh, footnote on horror cinema. So this is going to be quite the challenge, but you're going to have to tell us all about what it is, all its history, everything in ten minutes. That's the rule. So yeah. um, we best we best get cracking. And it Stacey. is if we've if
1: we've timed this right, this is Halloween. So this is on. Yes. This is, this what is, better day to pick exactly. up an,
0: an, a lovely academic book and start your <laughs> (laughs) intellectual journey in horror uh, rather than just watch some fun movies. Um, So, Stacey, the first, I guess, big question is, what is horror cinema? Can you provide us with a definition to get us going?
2: Yes, I think my starting definition is saying that it's a type of cinema that is designed uh, to generate a particular emotional effect in its audience, to generate feelings of fear, anxiety, um, shock, disgust, revulsion, or any of the above unease you know it's designed to provoke emotions in its audience and that is its fundamental purpose and um its fundamental effect and it does that in a range of different ways
0: okay easy good start okay so uh i guess where is its origins? Is this something, I guess, that's been around since sort of stories were told? Or maybe what's its cinematic origins uh, would be an easier place to go to? Yeah,
2: cinematic origins are, I mean, I would argue that it's it's there from the very earliest days of cinema um, that we start seeing in the even the pioneer days of short um Trick films, yeah. then playing with you know images of monsters, demons, um, designed to if not generate a scare, to uh, generate a spectacle and engagement, confront horror, or, you know confront audiences with things that are unsettling or disturbing or provocative images, um, and then as um, early cinema moves into lengthier um, storytelling. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, uh, filmmakers turn to gothic literature. Mm, okay. So we start seeing in 1910 Edison's company makes Frankenstein, um, and then we start seeing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and and all of these kind of and of course at that point no one was calling them necessarily horror films. But they are playing with gothic tropes. They are definitely designed to unsettle and disturb. Um, and this just progresses through the kind of silent era. So we have loads of films from Germany, Expressionism, mm-hmm. Nosferatu. You know, there's just this fascination with the supernatural and the occult and these kind of unsettling emotions. And then all of that gets sort of settled into a more, co- more defined genre. Um, in the 1930s with the coming of sound we think it's a really important element to horror becoming a more recognizable genre that sound becomes really key Mm. and we get um, Universal Studios and then other American studios start making these kind of iconic horror films And from Dracula, Frankenstein, The Murders in the Rue Morgue, um, Mad Love. And these films start becoming marketed and presented as horror films because they are recognized to generate a horrific effect Mm. in their audiences. And it kind of takes from there. So it kind of has this kind of slow birth over the first 20, 30, 30 years of cinema till it becomes quite fully formed as a recognizable genre, which of course then continues to evolve and change um, as audiences change because mm. if it's a genre based on on uh, a need to create an emotional fact of unease and fear and anxiety well, what affects us is going to be different from mm. generation to generation. We're just not going to be scared of mm-hmm. the same things or have the same anxieties that the genre is playing off of.
0: Mm. It sounds like a genre that it's gonna. It's one of the one of the harder ones to define because its 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 key defining implement is a a, a response rather than than a thing in the text. It's not it's not film noir, is it? Uh, so is there is there anything we should be looking for in terms of codes and conventions, or should we root it really just in that kind of things that scare us? Because that obviously takes us from. Frankenstein to Psycho to uh, uh, anything in I'm between, We're like, right? Yeah, like
1: body genres and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it yeah, feels yeah. like yeah. it's yeah. more rooted in, as you say, like it's like that. It's
2: rooted in very physical. I mean, it's a genre that's designed to have almost physical effect on its audience, and I think we respond to physicality. So the body is definitely a key thing that links all of these tropes together, whether it's vampires and zombies or slashers. It's built around... Um, our, you know, our our anxieties around the body, either the body as threat or the body as threatened, um, and I think one of the key tropes or themes that that bind a lot of them together is fear of the other, fear of thing of difference, um, and something kind of and that uh, yeah a threat that is othered or. Um, A challenge to that perception of the other being a threat, you know, the the inversion of taking something that historically was considered to be quote-unquote normal and revealing that to be monstrous. So our relationship to the other is a kind of key thing that horror negotiates and as a very recurring trope um but you're right it's it's because it's designed to have an emotional effect what you get with horror are a series of sub-genres and I the sub yeah. are the ones where you have much more <laughs> codified recognizable traditions so you know vampire films um which is one of my preferred hobby horses sure. is you know it's filled with kind of codes and iconography and conventions from religious imagery to garlic and wooden stakes and coffins or even when it abandons that, in more recent ones, we have sunlight and we have silver, and you know it is just filled with. We all know what a vampire looks like. We know, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we've been taught what to expect. But likewise with slasher films, yeah. with possession films, yeah. The Exorcist is uh, is is recurring, is celebrating its fiftieth anniversary. These are all subgenres. These are subgenres. Than anything
1: else. Yeah, I okay. mean, I
2: think there's there's arguably overlap between them, if you watch The Exorcist 3 one could just say that that's a possession film, but it's also a slasher film, okay. you know, I think there's definitely dialogue, but I think subgenres are a useful way mm. to think about them if you're looking to kind of how to
0: recognize them
2: but i think as audiences we kind of know a horror film when we see yeah, one yeah yep. yeah it sounds know? very much
0: like fantasy to me
1: yeah well so, uh, yeah, well, yeah okay, the yeah, kind yeah. Of the classic that's uh, the film i point to is the thing yeah. That, yeah. um i i had a question which i guess is more sort of industrial because you said that there seem to be these interesting phases of horror and i quite mm-hmm. like the idea that sound comes along and does something to the given what we know about fantasy and special effects and presumably mm-hmm. horror horror and special mm-hmm. effects and um, I I guess I had a question about kind of it seems like wait it seems to me from the outside as somebody who's not an expert at all in horror and as I said to you about an hour ago I only saw Carrie for the first time last night Mm -hmm. Um, why maybe maybe there is no answer why are horror films so conducive to sort of series and series like sequels and franchises because that seems quite a recurring Mm -hmm. feature of the genre in a slightly so it is rooted in in kind of affect and spectatorial response but it's also I just feel like a lot of horror films are franchised and yeah. made, made into serials. I just wondered if you had any kind of I thought. do.
2: I mean, I, I, mean, I think um, beyond the commercial success, sure. which is an obvious answer, um, I think it's because um, there's something about the monster or the threat that is something that even when a film ends and you've contained it or we've stopped and we've destroyed it, we know the monster will always come back. And right. I think there's that. And that's been the case since, you know, the... 30s at Universal where yes we kill the vampire but we'll have another vampire film it'll be his daughter or it'll be uh, the son of Dracula or the wolfman and the mummy films endless mummy films because there's a recognition that actually you may stop them but they will come back and and that somehow you can never fully and I think that's one of the again one of the pleasures and one of the things that's interesting about horror even when it seems to be contained it's not really they will continue in that kind of Robin Wood Return of the Repressed mm-hmm. the, the monster will continue to erupt into society and disrupt yeah. um, our our cosy world
0: <laughs> cool. I'd ask a final question about kind of um, reception I guess I guess there are two ways you can be interested in horror. Uh, there's the way that I'm interested in horror, which is watching it and, and being interested in what it does and, and enjoying it and things like that. And then there's the way my partner's interested in horror, which is just to say, why on earth would anyone be interested in horror? Sure. right? And in a way that articulates that kind of, there's there seems to be quite, um it's quite a, a genre that's always fighting for its sort of, Legi- for it's not only just its legitimacy but it's almost like its it's um, respect it's not just about artistic respectability it's about kind of moral respectability right so I wonder if you could sort of talk about that and how that might have played out um, yeah. over its history yeah yeah
2: absolutely I mean it's it's been it's a genre that has a history of being and is often described as being inherently disreputable um, because it, it invites us to wallow in these negative emotions, um, and yet it's, it's also been historically very popular. Um, and I think that, that it divides audiences or that reception from people who who, see, who do not recognize the benefits or the pleasures in wallowing in those negative emotions um, and see it as, and, and understandably in some cases, see it as exploitative, um, and see it as, as celebrating violence without recognizing that often from the perspective of horror audiences that there is a um, process going through the watching of confronting these things or often that ex- seeming exploitation of violence is actually... Um, channeling violence or exploring kind of ideas about violence that just showing violence doesn't necessarily mean it's just celebrating it it can be often um, critiquing it or highlighting the the issues of violence or showing kind of the dangers and damage of violence so there's all kinds of Mm. of of complexity to to that reception but i think it it, and i think you're right going back to the, the question is that there is often there's there's two divided responses from fans, which is some to say, you know, we don't have to defend, our the, our pleasure in horror, you know, it is what it is, what it is, and it's fine, and then often that need to explain it and say, but no, actually, it's doing, and I, and I'm going to use that, much hated word, by many horror fans, which is elevated horror, oh yeah, to justify horror by saying it's elevated and saying, well, actually, no, all horror, is is has certain potential benefits and we may have a period of certain films that have come out in recent years that are that are quite intellectual and that are um using horror as allegory or um, more suggestive but that has always been a part of horror and horror can be as intellectual or interesting or thought-provoking in its most basest of body horror mm-hmm elements so I think you know that but that notion of elevated horror is often used to kind of try to justify for particularly for people who maybe are uncomfortable with horror
0: mm-hmm. yeah okay
1: so what I was gonna say so what are the key we, we've yeah. sort of um, you know it, it is a format point rather than a desire to yes. stop you speaking but mm-hmm. um, are there I don't know kind of couple of key texts beyond your own writing that you feel like would be really um, a useful starting point for students maybe to think about horror and some of the things that you've spoken about?
2: I would, um, I think one of the key texts for me that I come back to a lot is Robin Wood's Introduction to the American Horror Film, I think it's called, and it's been republished in a number of places, so you can find it in a number of places. And I think it's a really useful um, way of thinking about um, the functions of horror and the pleasures of horror. I would also argue that... Barbara Creed's Monstrous Feminine is a fantastic piece of work about um, the the female monster, which is a really recurring trope across the genre, both positively and negatively. Um, And Bridget Cherry's Routledge Companion to Horror is a fantastic introduction to critical thinking about horror. And I think if, if anyone's looking for something to just begin to start thinking about those questions yep. about what is horror, why is this useful, I think it's a really yeah. helpful starting Brilliant. point. There's
0: our bibliography. There we are, done. Stacey, thank you so much. You did How you did that in 10 minutes, I don't know, but uh, it, was a, it was a pleasure to watch you do it. So, um, so thank you so much for coming back on the show. Um, and uh, yeah, if you have suggestions for future Footnote episodes, you can email us at fananimresearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M, research at gmail.com and we'll be delighted to take them for future episodes. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye. Oh, and happy Halloween.